the Podfix Network. Hello and welcome to episode 238 of the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking from indie film to studio films and everything in between how to get them made, how to make them and how to try not to fuck it up. (laughs) In our very, very humble opinion. Welcome to the show. Thank you for listening. Today, we have on the brilliant and charismatic Jay Silverman. Now, Jay has directed three feature films in the last couple of years, including Girl on the Edge, Off the Menu, and the recently released saving paradise he's worked in tv on american idol on desperate housewives on nypd blue and he made the cleaner for paramount pictures but saving paradise is his latest and it is out now it's an inspiring timeless story in the vein of it's a wonderful life about the real plight of american workers in a small town which is facing ruin and their gutsy efforts to save it. It stars William Mosley, Joanna Brady, Mimi Kennedy, Shoshone Hall, and Mary Pat Gleason, and Paul Dooley. Uh, so, what did we take away from this episode with Jay? What will our listeners expect, Dom? Just loads of tidbits because, um, you know, we got the sort of the rare treat that uh, he's actually a, a native Hollywooder. Mm, so, so Hollywoodian. Hollywoodian, yeah, Hollywoodian. It's a very different perspective and it's quite unique to sort of hear, you know, about getting movies out there and, and that perspective not being an outsider. So that's uh, that's pretty cool. And also about making, you know, authentic filmmakers. I, I like that that thread of the, the podcast. He, he makes stories that, that mean something um, and he's very mm. passionate about doing that and I, I think that's highly commendable. Totally agree. Uh, he, he talks about how this industry can be heartbreaking and I think that's mm. a really fascinating thing that we talk about uh, and obviously he goes into detail about Saving Paradise. So we find out how he built his own soundstage, how it is Ooh. living and working in Holly, 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 I've written Holiday. How it is living and working in Hollywood and we find out how he went from TV's The Cleaner to two indie films. Let's talk about how he shot in a real factory with real factory workers uh, and how he found this script on the blacklist. We also dive into why he's not interested in making Hollywood movies as such, uh, but his own type of Hollywood movies. The importance of prep. He also talks about his business model, how he makes profits from his movies, how he does it, how he keeps making them every couple of years, his distribution and social media outlets, what he's doing with that. And we also dive in the usual bits and pieces on crewing up and what it's like on set directing and making indie films uh saving paradise is out now i'd honestly recommend indie films go watch this this is how you do it kids there we have it all that is to come i'm giles alderson i am a writer director and producer and who the fuck are you i am dom lenoir and i'm very much the same thing (laughs) maybe even better what (laughs) i'm not joking (laughs) (laughs) oh i love it i love it i am literally in grimsby now i'm a week away from making three day millionaire producing this Jack Springs directing I'm producing it with Lucy in the Road Sakura and I'm a week away from filming it's kind of crazy time right now ask me why Dom why is it crazy because there is no crew this is unprecedented who are you as missing as far as I'm concerned uh, missing a grip you need to get a grip <laughs> you wait for that joke yeah. it's terrible <laughs> and unbelievably at the moment in this industry in the UK there is no, no crew. crew because everyone is working which is brilliant 
for the film industry, right, Dom? I mean, how great is that? Yeah, I mean, it, it shows a, it shows a healthy bounce back, which is a, a very good sign. I feel like the industry at the moment is through all the COVID problems, all the issues where people didn't know what was happening, how they're going to get work. Now is the perfect time if you want to start in this business, if you want to start on the crew side, if you want to be an up and coming producer. Now is the time. People are crying out. Yeah, for now's the time to make members. that film that you can't crew up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, don't do that. But become a crew member on someone else's. Yeah. You'll never crew up yours now. Yeah. But I tell you what you will do is you'll get on other people's films. Yeah. Now is the time to ring indie producers. Now is the time to email out. Now is the time to be on the Facebook groups where they search for crew members. I can't believe it. I am struggling so badly to find crew members. Mm. Everyone is working and i love it i love it for the indie film world right now i love it for our industry that was on its knees is now thriving so there's no excuses right now for you not to be making something be involved in something to be flying that flag if you want to be a filmmaker no excuses now none why so why so quiet <laughs> it's late i've had a long day i'm, I'm doing a q a <laughs> for, for the the shakespeare sisters today uh big oh, big nice. big plug there first time back at you know, hosting a, a Q and A, and they decided to do the the bloody BFI South Bank. So that was an interesting experience, but it all it all went well. It was good fun. Did sound was soundtrack to sixteen played at BFI on the? Big it was. Screen? It was a yeah, it was a special oh, uh, a special event. I love it. Now the Shakespeare Sisters have been on the podcast. If you do want to listen to that, just type in Shakespeare Sisters into our website filmmakerspodcast.com. And while you're there, why not support us a little bit more? Our Patreon page is available now with so much bonus material mm. so many clips and bits and stuff that our wonderful editor tobias has taken out the episode because he wants it for our specific patreon listeners so we've got a shout out um robbie martin got in touch he's doing a screening of his uh, brilliant play hello georgie goodbye best uh, it's at the clapham picture house on the 16th of September at 7.30pm uh, and it's also running on demand on the Space Theatre website until the 11th of September. Link to that is in the show notes but do check it out. I had a little watch. It's basically uh, their play live and uh, hopefully one day they'll turn it into a film because it's ace. So anyway, link to that is in the show notes. Uh, hello Georgie, Go goodbye best. Uh, I watched it, it was brilliant I really enjoyed it, performances are amazing. Uh, check it out if you fancy that. Shall we get to this week's episode Dom? Let's let's do it, let's drop, let's drop that episode bomb. Right everyone, this is our episode with Jay Silverman. Go make shit happen people this week. Go apply for jobs. Now is the time and then come and tell us about it. I love you all. Here's the episode with myself, Dom Lamar, and Jay Silverman. Hey. Good morning. Good, well, a good evening for us. Good morning to you. It's 7 p.m., right? Your time? It is 6 p.m., so we're eight hours ahead, so it's not far uh. off. Yeah. The last time I was in Hollywood was just before COVID mm. happened. We were both well, weren't we? We both were, pretty much at the same time. And I was there for the premiere of The Dare, and... I, I've always liked Hollywood. It's got something magic about it. Always. And you kind of miss it, but yet when you're there, you kind of go, what is going on? Because it's so long and sprawling and unlike any other city in the world. It must be lovely to live there and work there. And it's something we've talked about a bit on the pod in the past is, depending on what city you're in, makes a difference to how you can get things happening. Myself and Dom in London, we we work the scene, if you like. We go to meetings, we we'd hold meetings ourselves and events. How do you find navigating the waters of 
Hollywood, if you like, compared for us for London. It's nice for our listeners to know. Uh, do you still go to events? Do you still go to meetings? Obviously, now being in the business for as long as you have, you obviously know lots of content uh, contacts. How does it work for you? Well, I mean, if you're talking about the day to day of working in Hollywood, I mean, I've been doing it for, for <laughs> I'm ashamed to admit it, 40 years. Wow. And I can say to you that my last film that, that we're here to talk about, Saving Paradise, is a wonderful example of why Los Angeles or Hollywood per se has a reputation. Just as an illustration, my movie it features a small town called Penciltown, and, um, it's, and it's basically a generic small town, but it takes place in Pennsylvania. But Los Angeles is where we predominantly shot the movie. And, you know, there's just so many wonderful aspects to making movies, uh, even with incentives like uh, that happen all around the world to lure filmmakers. There's nothing like the incentive of having a great talent pool like we have in Hollywood here, especially for character actors uh, that I could never have gotten if I shot the movie in Tennessee. With, and I'm talking specifically about economics. There's no way I could fly a cast of 10 supporting actors to Tennessee and put them up in a town that only had three hotels. It penciled out as being a super advantage of staying in my own town. So, I mean, I guess I guess for you, it's, it's a big advantage, as you know, a lot of people. As a as an outsider, I, I guess in UK, when people sort of talk about shooting in Hollywood, the sort of you know the cost of it is, is thrown around. Like you know, you have, you have to spend a lot of money on on locations. What's the reality of, of that? Does you know does it kind of weigh weigh itself up against the fact that then no one has to travel, or, or is it is it quite expensive to sort of crew up and and um, you know get permits and actually shooting there? I've shot all around the world, and I can tell you, uh, without uh, any hesitation, it's really not much different. Uh, mm. There are, in, in the case of my first three movies, um, they're non-union crews and there are, you know, incredibly talented actors and crew people and location managers that know how to find opportunities and how you can make a movie, uh, especially an indie movie in 2021. It, it does require, you know, a sense of inventiveness. But I suppose it's no different than coming to England and uh, asking you, I need a farmhouse. And you go, yeah. I, I got an uncle that's got a farmhouse. Yeah, we've got lots of farmhouses here. Got lots of uncles. <laughs> you know, I mean, to be honest, that's 90% of what makes it possible for me to make movies to begin with is, is who you know and how yeah. to put a thread of, uh, of silk through a needle, you know? Yeah, and, and I, I think that's a, I think that's a really good point, um, especially if you are trying to make stuff, for, you know, on the indie side rather than on, on the higher side. You you have to have some kind of relationships because there, there's certain crew members that, you know, generally if you're just sort of cold calling them, they, they wouldn't do certain rates because, you know, you get some, some crew that are more creative and some are more, um, you know, the sort of practical jobs. Uh, and it's it's having those kind of working relationships where they know that you're going to be good to work with and the same with cast as well, where you, where you can kind of make those difficult budgets work. And it sounds like you've sort of built like a really good infrastructure, you know, over your years of working. Well, you know, I, I'll tell you this, which is in contrast to logic. Uh, I was a commercial director for 35 years, all major types of commercials. And we'd go shoot and I'm making this up right now. I'm not making it up by being honest. We go shoot in Wisconsin and the rates for crew were twice what they are in Los Angeles. Wow. It's, it's about supply and demand. Mm. And 
there, there's really very few uh, states in the union. And I would say New York or Atlanta and Los Angeles, you know, they have a huge crew base. And especially with young filmmakers, you know, you have, I mean, in our case, we had a crew that was probably predominantly under 30 years old. So, you know, you've got new people that want to get in the business mm -hmm. and they can't start working on a Marvel movie tomorrow short of being a PA, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So true. I love that because it's, it's fascinating how, you know, work comes around and how you get into this business and how you start w what happens. And indie film is the perfect way for, in, for filmmakers of any kind, whatever role you want it to start to learn. And it's really interesting as indie filmmakers ourselves is we will help these people coming up and we will talk to them about how to be on set and the way through. And it's a much better way to navigate it rather than straight to TV. Whereas yourself, you did lots of TV. First of all, you did go that route, not only with the commercials, but also all the, the TV you did as well and producing stuff and creating stuff and coming up with ideas. Have you always found that you've always liked more independent, like making stuff yourself rather than the TV side. You know, it's interesting. I had a TV show and I don't, I, I do believe it was in, uh, in Europe called The Cleaner mm -hmm. starring Benjamin Braft. Mm -hmm. Now that's a show that I created uh, with, you know, a great deal of passion because it was, it was about uh, something that I experienced myself with post-traumatic stress and also this idea of uh, working with individuals that help people that don't want to be helped themselves. And I'm just talking about um, whether it be drugs or alcohol or what have you. And in that process, you know, you find yourself working in a system. You understand? And in this particular case, A&E was the, the provider and Paramount Pictures was the company that produced the, the show. Right. And this was before, I believe, uh, this was in, I think maybe this was 10 years ago. But the reason I'm mentioning it to your point mm -hmm. is a lot of bureaucracy, you know? Mm. And when you get notes after you got a brilliant script in front of you um, that they don't want the the lead to be sleeping with a paraplegic you know um it it, it 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 it's heartbreaking because <sighs> it, it made me cry when i read the script and it mm. came from the heart mm. and it's authentic and and uh, they just nixed it you know and just for the record there's a show and i'm sure you've seen it and i believe it's on showtime in the united states but it's called uh ray donovan mm -hmm. and yep, the showrunner the showrunner that produced my show went on to produce that show and and, and i give him a lot of uh, compliments because he now is doing what in real life I tried to get on, you know, in three seasons on our show. Gosh, yeah, because you you co you created it and co and your exec produced it as well, and and that must be frustrating, insanely frustrating. And one of the reasons why maybe you moved to indie filmmaking was that you could have that control. You know, I wonder if that's one of the reasons. Yeah, I'll share something fascinating. At least I thought it was fascinating. The writer who wrote uh, Saving Paradise named Van Billet did a magnificent job. And then he mm -hmm. wrote my next film coming up called Yale, mm -hmm. which is a new story based on his grandfather. And 
long of the short of it is I wake up in the morning and I get a call from a producer that we know, and he says he wants to take a meeting with us. And we spend, you know, no less than two hours talking at lunch about the the desire to want to turn my movie into a $10, $12 million film. And all due respect to his efforts to try to elevate my career, probably I won't go that direction because of what I just described. Hmm. It's 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 and, and incidentally, you know, I will be making Yale next year uh, in 2022, providing the, the pandemic is contained. But uh, I would never uh, be able to make it with the 12 million dollar movie for probably four or five years. And that would be, you know, maybe a five percent chance. Yeah. So and jumping through hoops and trying to get this cast member and that cast member. We hear it a lot. You, and you have to you definitely have to weigh up like whether you want to make the film in a way that isn't, you know, the you know, authentic. I mean, I think that's the that's the kind of key word. I think there's there's projects that you can definitely jump onto that maybe aren't as close to your heart, but when it's something that's really serious and you've been thinking about it for a long time mm. to make those kind of sacrifices that sometimes might ruin it in, in, in your mind it, it can be a you know, difficult decision to make to have those those kind of decisions well you already have as a filmmaker just a, a whaling amount of obstacles you know you, number one you buy a script in my case i bought the script from van billet and then i spent a year and a half developing the project to not only try to make it better but try to make it affordable mm. and that, that in itself is is something that some filmmakers never have to experience they wake up in the morning and they go into production on a 20 million dollar movie and they're not worried about uh, whether or not we can stay at a location for five days versus uh, build it on a stage you know those types of things are in within my control when I take a project on as an independent filmmaker. And, you know, it's up to me, you know, to to essentially uh, lead the team to thinking uh, in a way that is not only uh, affordable, but at the same time, not compromising the project. Mm, because that's going to happen. And you, you like I said, and it's wonderful you said that, but you do have to be the leader. You're the leader of your team. You know, you're the leader to make things happen and you have to encourage, but also cajole and get everyone on your side so that you're all doing this together. And this is like independent spirit and you're all going, yeah, this is going to be tough, but we're going to do this together and it's going to be a wonderful film we're going to be proud of at the end. As opposed right. to maybe making some of the 20 where everyone's maybe living a better life and maybe getting more money, maybe. But at the same time, it's maybe out of your control a lot more and the finished product is not what necessarily you wanted to make in the first place. Those kinds of paradoxes for filmmakers are the kind that give you heartburn and <laughs> sleepless nights. Yeah, totally. Is it worth in that situation, though, from your experience of saying, well, look, if they want to, you know, potentially we'll go make this tw 12 million Hollywood movie or whatever. At the same time, doing your own indie at the same time, while that might take four years, is it worth looking at things like that, in your opinion, to sort of go, well, look, I'm going to do that. And I'm also going to carry on making my say, you know, saving paradises at the same time. Yeah, I, I mean, look, I've been um, I think about six months ago, I was offered to make a movie that sounded interesting, but I, I'm not interested in being a director for hire. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I think one of the most uh, important aspects of what I love to do is um, go soup the nuts, you know, being being able to make a movie from development to completion 
is uh, super fulfilling and it's hard to match as far as a business model. I think I think it's very difficult uh, and, and it's not something we necessarily talk about that, that much on, on the podcast. But I think if, if you do develop your own projects pretty much entirely, there, there is a kind of an added pressure in a way because, you know, obviously like the main thing in, in, in the community is to always be aware of, you know, support your colleagues and, and this kind of thing. But when you're taking like longer to get a project off the ground because it, it isn't sort of ready packaged and you're having to sort of put blood, sweat and tears into it, it can be a, a challenging thing to sort of wrestle with, I think. Yeah, I mean, look, look uh, I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, <laughs> this has been the toughest couple of years in my career with COVID and we literally finished this movie on a, uh, on a Monday and on Tuesday, they locked down Los Angeles wow. and, you know, to lock down a film community on top of a community, mm-hmm. is, uh, especially after spending all this energy, making a movie, we literally mixed it the night before the lockdown. So, oh, wow. Well, let's come back to your, your career and how you got to Saving Paradise, but let's talk about Saving Paradise first, because it is, gorgeous gorgeous little indie film really nice and a really strong cast as well and i really liked and and please forgive me if i'm wrong but you mixed in official workers who seem to work at the pencil factory or that maybe non-actors as it were with real actors uh, obviously not all the time but only very slight and i really enjoyed that and I, I i feel like that's what you did in certain cases but my god that was fascinating really interesting dive into this whole whole world that you created and i thought it was a really brilliant brilliant indie film and i know i know our listeners will love that and be inspired by what you made here i'm very flattered by uh, by your compliment thank you i mean you, you know you just you just brought up something as a filmmaker this sounds odd because i obviously want to tell stories i'm a filmmaker that gets up every day with an urge to want to expose something that i think hasn't been exposed and when i when i was given this screenplay from my producers i can't even describe to you how interesting it was because I don't know how they make pencils, you know, I don't know how a pencil factory is. So we flew to Shelbyville, uh, Tennessee, where there's only one of three or two pencil factories even still existing in the United States. There used to be 25. Mm. And I had to make, you know, a, a creative decision. And I think you as filmmakers and the people that listen to you would be, uh, I, I think, intrigued by the fact that we did have a license to get a get usage to the factory, but mm-hmm. it was like four hours. So I brought my DP and I brought a camera assistant and we knew we had to work with available light, but mm-hmm. we ended up shooting all the reverse shots of the factory with real factory workers. And then the, and then when you flip the camera around, we shot all that in a factory in Los Angeles. I love ah, it. Amazing. It's amazing. It totally matched. Yeah. And, you know, that's partly due to the fact that we had a great production designer and we had a great DP named Bruce Green. And I think, you know, the innovative idea, I'm not really fond of special effects. I'm not fond of, mm-hmm. of uh, getting blown away, you know. Well, especially in indie films when it's hard to make it look really good as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but it, but it, but it was important to me to, the movie honors the global worker. And to me, whether you're in United States or you're in in England or in uh, um, Ireland, you know, workers are workers and they get up every morning. And I don't think 
they consider the plight of that factory being as vulnerable as it is to be picked up and moved to Vietnam or picked up in this, in my movie's real story, the factory got closed down and they moved it to um, Mexico city. And, you know, it has heartache and it has Mm -hmm. soul and it has this passion of the workers. So I can't imagine making a movie about that without having real workers in the movie. And just before we dive in deeper, will you just give a a small little pitch of it and we'll play the trailer for our listeners? The film is about a small town in Pennsylvania that is, they call Pencil Town. And it's about a factory that essentially uh, employs the vast majority of working men and women in that community. Not unlike It's a Wonderful Life or Norma Ray, if you've ever seen those movies. Really features the heartbeat and the blood of a community. And to learn one day that the owner of the company has passed the baton to his Wall Street uh, investment banking son, uh, who essentially is you know, going by his instincts to basically put, put the council factory on the selling block and uh, and alleviate all the the stress and the pressures of it and what ends up transpiring is this idea of what's more important you know making uh, a transaction or saving a community a two-month leave of absence and at such a critical time i'm sorry cameron but i have no choice pencils right it's a family business for over 100 years just hire a broker sell it it's a little more complicated than that Good morning, Mr. Peterson. 14 billion pencils were produced throughout the world last year, 2 billion in the United States of America. Peterson made about a billion of those. 90-day notice. Bank's not renewing our loan. 90 days? We don't have $10 million. We don't have $10,000. Hey, Mikey. Charlie, it's been a while. The days of you and him have long since passed. Thank you. We'll be in touch. Look, we're all working our asses off down there in the dark, Charlie. You're either with us or with him. Michael, don't go soft on me. You're up for partner. I don't have a problem. But them, those people, they have a problem. It's all about the bottom line, isn't it? The other line is there. People's lives are at stake. You see, this company is what it is because of us. So is it as bad as it looks? Your company is a lot more than just a pencil factory. What happened to the Michael that I once knew? There is still hope. You know, you may think you know me. Oh, I'll bet I do. Charlie put this together. It contains hundreds of ideas. Your ideas on how to bring this company into the 21st century. Kiss her already. I love this kind of movie, like the, the the kind of almost nostalgia where where you you sort of you know tap into that old classical kind of cinema where you know the the old you know the old quaint charming ways are kind of being challenged by the the ruthless you know face of commerce and I think I think they can be very profound uh, those kind of stories and I think it's great that you're you're making those kind of films. Thank you. Uh, so let's talk about how obviously your writer brought it to you in the first place, Van Billet, and then you took it. You, you mentioned there you said you took a year and a bit to maybe adapt it get it to the right place talk us through that process of was it just an unsolicited email and then from there how did you go about making it bethany serona my producer does what i think most 
producers do around the world mm -hmm. that are looking for new projects. There's one tool, and I don't know if it's applicable in England, but I'm pretty sure it is. It's called the the blacklist. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yes. Is basically a a porthole for filmmakers and producers that are established for credibility purposes, and they have access to all these scripts. And we've made now two movies from uh, sources that come from this type of medium. And we called up, I called up Van. I just looked at the phone number on the front of the script yeah. and I got him on the phone. And next thing you know, he flew to Los Angeles and we made it, you know, we made a deal. So how, how do you sort of manage around, you know, I'm guessing you don't have rehearsal periods, or, you know, or, or a very short one in, in your schedule, sort of working with those those budgets. Do you arrange kind of meetings, you know, between some of the cast or do you, do you like to open up conversations with prep um, to kind of, you know, I guess, counter the, the lack of rehearsal time? Well, it's a, that's a really good question. I've been lucky enough to because of technology to be able to go on Skype or Zoom and talk to the actors about the roles and pick their brains and then pick my brains. And, you know, that I think significantly helps the final product. Um, I also believe that, you know, asking an actor his interpretation of the script and then hearing their feedback is really important because sometimes it opens up things, not sometimes, all the times it opens up things that I hadn't even anticipated that make the project mm, so much yeah. better. In, in my movie, you know, uh, in all the movies I've made, I can tell you that we always had a table read before the shoot. And of course, this one, William was on Zoom, and I don't even think Zoom was around three years ago. But anyways, William was on Skype or FaceTime, and maybe half the cast was sitting in my stage. It still is, you know, a little um, wonky. Nothing would be more fulfilling than than having some time to to uh, rehearse and exercise with the talent and get to know one another. Well, interestingly, I I, I think I've had like like you have one sort of read through, and. I think on the dare, I got my actors over for a day or two to rehearse. Wait, like a couple of weeks before the shoot. It's like uh, unprecedented. The shoot I'm doing now as a producer on it, it's two weeks of rehearsal. And because the director demanded it, I was like, all right. At first you're like, yeah, 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 no problem. And then suddenly as you get closer to it, it's like, well, you promise. I'm like, shit, how are we going to afford this? How are we yeah. going to make this work? And you have to, you'd said you promised to make it work. So you're like, okay, let's see if we can make this work. And what a luxury that is on an indie film, by the way, you know, that's, wow. You know, you're very fortunate because, I mean, I love reading stories or listening to podcasts of filmmakers that engage in, in such luxuries <laughs> mm, i know i know it's a luxury it's like wow i there's something about the spontaneity though of of that chemistry and of that moment where you literally get your actors on set and you talk it through almost for the first time and it feels alive there's, because everyone's like jesus christ it can go wrong in there but also it can go so right everyone's firing and listening and the concentration levels are really high you haven't over rehearsed it you haven't got bored of it you you you're actually listening and I think that's that's also, uh, it's a plus. So it's that mixed balance, isn't it, really? I mean, if you get rehearsals, take it for sure. <laughs> you know, one of the most challenging uh, aspects, I hate to oversimplify this, but is personalities, you know? Mm. And, you know, if you're lucky enough, see, I spent my whole career 
shooting commercials with with triple, you know, five star actors, and big I'm, stars. I, yeah, Denzel yeah. Washington for one. Yeah, yeah huge. Yeah, Denzel Washington, uh, Michael Jordan, Ray Charles. You know, I'm not bragging. I'm actually stating fact that you know the creative aspect of what I did was important, but the biggest part of what I did was pulling it off because. Mm. Most of them didn't want to be there doing commercials. They're ashamed of it, you know, and and I got to tell you, you know, it prepared me well for making movies because I can see the bullshit far away. <laughs> and, yes, yes. And both of you guys are filmmakers. I'm telling you straight up. We've all been in a situation where we're looking at the clock. We've got five more pages to do. And mm -hmm. we're going, how, how in the hell are we going to do this when that actor over there who we all thought was brilliant is overthinking his role and holding up the whole shoot you know i've been there and i can tell you i'm gifted enough as a communicator to be able to sit the person down and say look <laughs> this is what i need from you you know i think that's one of the things is is it's when people are difficult like it's it's fine if you're behind and it's fine if you're you know your actors having a difficult moment or, or something like that but it's when they're not on side with you and, and they're like the sort of the you know it could be anyone it could not just be an actor but when they're actually causing trouble <laughs> because of you know that, that one little cog that goes wrong it just throws the whole thing into a whole level of stress beyond uh, the time pressures well we all know that independent filmmaking is predominantly about pre-production <laughs> at yeah. least at least that's my belief because there's no way i made this movie uh, saving paradise in 17 days okay nice. <laughs> all you got to do is look at it and even if you don't like my movie uh, you'll say how the hell did he pull that off you know mm -hmm. it's yep. from it's working with, working with a great team you know i mean this is a collaborative medium and and i include the writer in that team because he was able to on the set, which I'd never done before, wake up and and write an alternative version of the scene to accommodate something that, you know, because of rain, because of consequences of, of a location, I could have never done. That's amazing. And that's so important. Like you say, the collaboration and having that amazing team around you and then prepping it, you know, almost with an inch of its life so that when you get there, there is less problems. There is less fires to put out. And that's vital. This intermission was brought to you by Massive. Charles, my main man. As we all know, thankfully Robbie has left us and joined a huge movie studio. Thankfully. There his hor horrible boss has tasked him with developing movie pitches. So what ridiculous idea has he come up with this week? The good folks at Marvel Comics. Are you aware of them? Mm. Yeah. They've come to us. Yeah. They want to fund a plant-based superhero. <gasps> They're looking for something massive, something huge. They want a vegan superhero with plant powers. And Giles, I knew you'd be the man to call. I am the man. I am that man. I'm so glad you asked. I've been thinking about this for a while. And I'm going to pick a very malign character of the vegetable group. Okay, okay. So what are you thinking? Carrot man? Salad girl? Sprout boy. Sprout Boy, okay. Yeah. Oh, right. Well, what's so great about Sprouts? Well, according to recent scientific research, Robbie, if you ever did any research, oh, you'd know that, sp that Sprouts were good for your libido. So, so he's a lover, not a fighter, that's what you're saying? Yeah. Where's his HQ? Where's his base of operations? Where do you think, Robbie? It's in Brussels, Belgium, uh, where they were massively popular in the 16th century. Of course, of <laughs> course, okay. Yeah, we need a weakness. What's his, what's his kryptonite? Mm. Well, they're not so good near heat. 
Right. You see, a, a sulfur-like smell okay. comes off them. It's a sure sign that they've been overcooked. That sounds nasty. Right. It <laughs> is. Let's move on. What's the superpower? <laughs> we need something well, big. Uh, Sprout Boy and his little veggies, they supplied enough power to light up a Christmas tree on London South Bank in 2013. No. With great power comes great Christmas responsibility. Ooh, I like it. I like it. Mm, Charles, yeah, I will be surprised if this does not get greenlit. You saved my bacon with this one. Can't say that. Oh, of course. Right. It, I, sorry. You've saved my sprouts. SOS. That's the title. Save our sprouts. Hello, Sproutlets. I have a question, and my question is this. What's very yummy, wonderfully wiggly, and puts a smile on your face first thing in the morning? Sprout Boy. SOS. If you have a massive movie idea or any large files, transfer them with Massive, spelled M-A-S-V. Sending a large file with Massive is as easy as sending an email. Sign up for Massive today using massive.io forward slash filmmakers pod and get 100 gigabytes free towards your transfer. I mean, I can feel my libido sprouting already. <laughs> and so how did you and Bethany then? So you've, you've taken this script from the blacklist uh, from Van Billet. From there, how did you turn it into a production? How did you actually go, cool, let's get the money? What's your process there? Have you got certain people you go to? Have you got funding bodies? What's the first thing that you do when you find that project, like you say, that you're passionate about that you want to make? I am lucky enough to say to you that I have a business model. Now I have three movies that I have income coming in from all three movies that goes directly into a pot to support my next production. Um, In this particular case, we had some hero investor that helped us. But generally speaking, that's how I make the movies. And it is um, a business model that I know is rare. It's mm-hmm. a business model that I know is is incredibly fortunate for me. And um, I have the capability to do this, you know, give or take every two or three years. And it's all because I invested in myself. Have you in the past had difficulty getting getting the money out of your films like in terms of distributors not paying or you know maybe the film not doing as well as you'd hoped for reasons outside your control? It's a mixed bag. You know, I, I have, uh, if you were to ask me, which I'm sure you want to know what my opinion of the indie film market is today, mm-hmm. I would say to you much worse than it was two years ago. Oh, um, <laughs> no, and I mean that in a non, uh, I'm just saying, to you as a as a fellow filmmaker i'll give you an illustration i sit with my fiance and we watch movies every night okay uh we've run out of content that is good and so now we are going to you know uh, spain we're going to um Mm. Zealand, we're going to uh, dutch films films made in in um in the ukraine so why am i sharing this with you because if you think about it you make a movie and even though you're in britain you're making an, an english language movie now five years ago you can make a movie and they put subtitles on and sell it to spain you know nowadays spain is producing more films for their own audience than they've ever done ever so you have a situation there where they're getting uh, their own language movies why would you pick a subtitled film, you know, or at least, you know, spend a considerable amount of money on content uh, unless you you needed it? You know, mm. 
I know that sounds odd for me to say, but that's a new reality. Not to mention the fact that Netflix is making, and so is Amazon, movies in Ireland, movies in uh, Spain, movies in China, movies in Japan that, you know, are basically organically produced by locals. Mm. That's going to change the landscape of filmmaking because there's just such an abundance of new content. Definitely. And, and it used to be like, it used to be this sort of, it was quite rare for a, a film from another country to sort of make it into the mainstream window. Like, you know, you'd get like the odd old boy or, you know, something in that kind of territory and it would sort of come along and, and people would be like, oh, okay, yeah, this is a film everyone should watch. But it, it wasn't the kind of the norm. Uh, and I think now it is becoming, you know, a bit more the norm and the major streamers are all adopting, you know, different territories uh, and they're sort of throwing that content in. So it is changing, certainly. So because of that, though, how is it, like I say, how is it, that's obviously harder for us as indie filmmakers to now sell to Spain, for, for example. So how do you do it? That's just part of it. The, the other part of it is if my international distributor just educated me on this last week where, you know, there used to be five uh, buyers, meaning, you know, big conglomerates that bought uh, Fox was one of them. Disney was one of them. And uh, they've now consolidated. And I think there's now just one or two. And that that is huge. You know, um, uh, Saving Paradise is uh, hopefully going to get picked up by uh, Sky. Is that what it's called? Yeah, Sky. Yeah, in the UK. Yeah. yeah. And and there used to be five or six. Now there's Sky, you know. Mm. And, and that's intimidating because if your movie gets missed, uh, you just lost out on, you know, a whole region's worth of, uh, of uh, box office, you know. Mm. Yeah. So what do you do there? So how do you, like, say, with the model you've got uh, and the wonderful setup that you, you, you're talking about here, how do you sell it and, and actually sort of recoup a little bit without giving away all your secrets? But in terms of what's... Do you literally, with your sales agent distributors, go, okay, well, that if we sell in that territory, this is how much we can sell here. How does it work for you? Well, we, in, in the United States, this is the third movie I've made where I have hired a distributor in the States. So Saving Paradise is distributed by Vertical Entertainment. Vertical, yeah. Oh, yeah. They're great. Yeah. And Vertical has a, a business model. You know, they spend, <laughs> it's been quite foreign to me, but they spend, you know, their energy uh, taking your project to market and you have to help them, you know, as a filmmaker. And doing podcasts is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking no, about no, exactly, yeah. th this idea of taking something to market that essentially is, um, you know, for example, my movie opened this weekend. This is the, it opened on September 3rd in the United States. And there is some like 27 titles that opened the same weekend. Wow. Gosh. And, wow. you know, even though I have William Mosley, who's a recognizable actor, mm. he, he, he's, he's not going to compete with, you know, a big Hollywood star that is coming out at the theater or uh, streaming on what have mm. you. No, I think I think in, in a way you kind of have to, especially with indie stuff, like it, the, the indie film community in a way is is quite a a chunk of your audience or, or at least a, a chunk of people that will, you know, maybe be loyal and spread the word as well, as well. And I think you have to do everything you can to, you know, get your film seen and your, you know, posters and, you know, your trailers out there and, and, mm. and do as much kind of off your own back as well. And I, I don't think the idea of just relying on a distributor or a sales agent to do everything is remotely going to cut it. 
um, in, in this sort of day and age. No, you, you're absolutely right. I mean, and, I'm, and since this is a, a show about communicating filmmaking, indie filmmaking, I'll tell you that I was convinced by my producer to invest with a New York City marketing company, and they did something which I think is incredibly inventive. They they marketed my movie on Instagram and Facebook. And we had the same editor that cut the trailer for vertical uh, cutdowns that could work in both formats mm -hmm. with a launch of an A, B, and a C. A being coming soon, B being it's arrived, and C being here are some things that you might have missed. Mm. So we're experimenting with that. I can't tell you today that it was remarkably successful, but I tell you straight up to quantitate this type of tool, once they can tell you, hey, guess what? You spent X dollars on marketing. And I can tell you right now, because of the of the click through, uh, you made, uh, you know, uh, 500 sales. You yeah. see, they can't do that yet. Not yet. Now, no. Vertical's going to see the sales if there's any from the marketing that I've done separately from them. But uh, it wouldn't it be great to be able to go, hey, yeah. hey, did this in the United States. Let's do it. You know. Well, I, I think I think you can't you can't necessarily quantify all your efforts. But I think if if I always think the if there's something in place already, like from someone else, uh, and there's a chance to add to it, if there's something building, it will grow exponentially. Uh, so you may as well throw in everything you can, uh, you know, when the distribution company are doing their thing, and you know maybe it helps a little bit, maybe it helps a lot. But it, it, I think I think your chances are always increased, and for the small amount of money it takes to to do that, I think it's always worth it. Well, I'll tell you something interesting because. We haven't done this yet, but one of my actors, which I'm sure you remember, his character was named Walter. This guy's name is George Steves. Is actually came from a casting agency in Los Angeles that uh, specializes in individuals that are, in his case, on the spectrum or handicapped or what have mm -hmm. you. Yep. Um, so when you make a movie, in this particular case, my movie had a character uh, similar to Dustin Hoffman in um, Rain Man. What was it called? Rain, Rain Man. Man. Yeah. yeah, Rain Man. Classic film. You know, here, in those days, Dustin Hoffman was a genius. Today, he would probably not be able to do what he did because to be politically correct, why wouldn't you hire somebody that's already uh, on correct. the spectrum versus Absolutely. somebody to emulate? Mm-hmm. Uh, so things have changed, you know, but that's an angle. And when I say an angle, I mean, I think it's incredible that this young man took the role and made it, which some reviewers have said is the heart of my whole movie. Mm. Isn't that lovely? I love that. When you, when you make a choice of something and people love it, you know, and that's, that's what's magical about indie filmmaking. You don't know what people are going to love or take away from it or remember as their favorite film or become fans of you and your movie is is just that's what's so wonderful about what we do you know and we have to go through the heartbreak and the shit but at the same time you also get the joys of that what you've just described there is incredible here's a wonderful hollywood story for you so we're casting the writer and i are casting that role of walter and the guy did such a magnificent job i did something that was probably considered inappropriate i says you know we love you you're fantastic and he looked at me and he goes you know who should play my grandpa uh, paul dooley you know who paul dooley is yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, 
And we look at him and we go, you know, Paul Dooley? And he goes, yeah, he's my mentor. Uh, and so next thing you know, we have Paul Dooley in my movie now. Ah, oh, look at that. What That's a wonderful Hollywood story, right? Totally love those That's stories. perfect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he was in Hairspray and Popeye and all sorts of stuff, for those who don't know, for the younger listeners. And and that's it. The whole Your whole cast was amazing. Joanna Brady, uh, Mimi Kennedy, uh, Shoshone Hall as well. You know, Matt, Pat, uh, Mary... Pat Gleason, just just all of them, really lovely. Jumping into like you you went from making the cleaner being uh, co creator to then like in a couple of years to then directing your own stuff. Obviously, you'd made shorts in that time, and you obviously made all the the this adverts and all your all, all bits and pieces with your stars as well. But then, Girl on the Edge, because making your first feature is difficult. How did it come about for you? Was it different? You know, now you've built your model, you've built your world. It's it's not necessarily easier, but it you know, your business model. How did you get Girl on the Edge going? How did you make it happen? Girl on the Edge is a deeply personal story. It's really about my one of my own children. And she was getting bullied in as a sophomore in high school by uh, the boys graduating. And there was... Um, that element, which is a social humiliation. And then there was the element of sexual, just despicable behavior. Mm-hmm. And then uh, how it affected her, how it affected me, mm-hmm. how it affected my, my, uh, my wife at the time and my just inability to be able to figure out what the F to do mm-hmm. to help my own child. And I just felt there was such a desperate need to bring this movie to the theaters and communicate what I felt was an extraordinary way to treat post-traumatic stress, which was using equine therapy. And, um, and it was, it's a true story. And, uh, we, uh, we did uh, some really incredibly innovative things. It was written by, in part, by a name Joey Curtis, who had been rewarded at Sundance for a movie called Blue Valentine. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, uh, you know, I mean, it was, a, it was my first movie. It was an incredibly uh, low-budget movie. And uh, we were lucky enough, and this is another great example of how you might get celebrity talent. We were able to get uh, Peter Coyote, yeah, who... To play one of the major roles in this film. And I think it was because of his own personal experience. And his daughter is uh, an individual that helps people with this disorder. And subsequently, he took a, a personal interest in the project. Mm. And you got Gil Bellows as well, uh, you know, and uh, just just incredible cast here, Elizabeth Henner. But how did you actually raise the money? Because this is the thing that a lot of our filmmakers want to know. It's that first film, because how do you get that first one through the door? I'm not, I'm, I, you're, 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 my interviews are going to be ruined now, but I, I inherited a certain amount of money, which was not that much, but enough to make this movie. And as a tribute to my uncle, who I inherited it from, I used the entire amount to make I that movie. I love that. See, that's the story I've been waiting for this whole time making these podcasts. Someone just went, no, I, I did it. I, you know, I, we've heard that before. But in terms of we inherited money and you put it into something you believed in and cared about. And like you say, a story with a purpose and a meaning. And that great. Fucking great. You know, I mean, that was, you know, to me and, and I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. I've been doing this for over 40 years mm-hmm. and 
I've seen very, very talented people, much more talented than I am, uh, ruin their careers with cocaine, ruin their careers with gambling, ruin their careers with just horrible, horrible choices. And um, I learned from that. You know, I, I worked for some of the best you know, people in the business when I was 17, 18 years old. And I learned a lot, you know, and I think mentorship and I know it's a big thing in England is something that's not as big as it. And it should be here in the United States. Mm. Yeah, both me and Don mentor quite a few uh, up and coming indie filmmakers and yeah. just filmmakers. It, it's important, you know. We didn't have it, but we're very happy to give back. No, I mean, I mean, I think it's, I think it's a good point. Like, it, it would have been so incredibly useful earlier in, you know, the career when you're trying to make your first feature, uh, and to sort of go through those hurdles to have had a mentor. Because sometimes it's just someone to connect you with someone that might give you a bit of a helping hand, uh, and it, it really is valuable. Because things, things once, once you get to a certain point things that are quite easy for you may seem quite impossible to someone who's just starting out. Um, like if you don't have the connections to crew or, or even sort of, you know, various cast. Uh, and it's, it's such a good, you know, idea uh, to be to be mentored and to mentor. Uh, real quick, obviously, want to just touch on real quick, your second movie off the menu uh, and the fact that you set up your own uh, studio as well. You set up your own sound stages in California where you could film stuff as well. Did you shoot, did you build that for off the menu? I know because you didn't really shoot much of that anywhere near Hollywood as far as I can tell, but I'm wondering what the process was behind you setting up your own sound stages. When I made uh, Girl on the Edge, predominantly 75, 80% of the movie was filmed within 300 yards of my studio. <laughs> and I'm talking about yogurt parlors to restaurants to my three sound stages. I had the luxury in those days of being able to, in, in the case of off the menu, build uh, the kitchen on my stage. Oh, amazing. Oh, I'm so glad. It looked incredible. So if you saw the movie, um, you know that uh, they walk in the door in a beautiful kind of Santa Fe type of mm -hmm. uh, restaurant. Yeah. And the minute they go through the door, they're in, in my stage. You know? oh, <laughs> so. Wow. It looked so good. So beautiful. And the colors are so vibrant and gorgeous. It was such a, made me so hungry, except I'm vegan. So a lot of it I didn't want to eat, but <laughs> that's irrelevant. It it was still gorgeous. It was still <laughs> totally irrelevant. Exactly irrelevant. But I thought I'd drop it in. <laughs> no, I'm very flattered that you watched it. I mean, off the menu was a labor of love, you know, mm -hmm. in that particular case, you know, I, I lucked out with two great leads. Oh yeah. Um, Amazing leads. Yeah. So good. I, I, I'm saying this because, you know, the same rules applied to my last movie. You do whatever it takes to be inventive and you know we knew and this is experience that kicks in we knew that in order to make our day we would pre-light that restaurant for night and day and the minute that we started you know we'd be able to go through you know uh, i think we spent six days uh in the kitchen or in the in the restaurant on my stage day and night you know you just can't get that kind of of uh, reliability or economics no. at a real location. Yeah, or someone turning the lights off on you, literally going, sorry, your time's up, turn them off. You're going, I own this. I put 50p in the meter, mate. This is mine. You know, you can't take that away. And that's so powerful. A great, a great simple story about screenwriting is 
the screenwriter who did a magnificent job on that movie had to sit with us like Van did on this latest movie and go, okay, she's got a hot air balloon race scene at the end of the script. And that alone, being a filmmaker for all these years, I can tell you would have been mm -hmm. two thirds budget of Absolutely. my entire movie. Yes. However, I'll tell you something. We rewrote the ending to take place in the Rio Grande mm -hmm. and uh, we show up and because of the drought, <laughs> Instead of having, you know, a very conflicting water scenario, we ended up having to do it in post. So oh, I do, right. you know, I mean, all the, the, the water rushing and so forth was put in later. You could pretty much do anything as you, you both know. Yeah, you can. And that's what's, that's what's amazing about indie filmmaking. I think once you've made one movie or two, you suddenly realize what you can and can't do within the indie filmmaking. You go, well, it's all right. I'll just do it this way here or i'll add a bit of green screen and i can make that work or i'll don't worry i'll remove that later or there's all these things but when you're first starting out you go no it has to be this it has to be this and you sort of calm down a bit and realize that there's ways around it you can make it work don't worry if we haven't got a grip that day it's okay if we haven't got whatever that actor that day don't worry we'll make it work Charles may or may not be looking for a grip <laughs> <laughs> literally looking for a grip as we speak for the latest film if any of you are available please do get in touch uh absolutely true no, it's interesting. And the DP uh, saw the movie for the first time uh, after a year and a half of color correcting. In other words, we color corrected and a year and a half later, we had a little cast screening last weekend. Oh, and wow. he said, he said the most fulfilling part of it was, is knowing that uh, even though we both really, really prayed and wished we could afford a second camera, we didn't. Mm -hmm. And he was super pleased by the choices that we made because, you know, that's nine tenths of it, you know, having the camera in the wrong place will really screw you. Totally. And then you'll end up wanting to use that shot in the edit that just because it's there and you think, well, we will, but actually by having the one camera, so you, it, it limits your choices, but also then you make the choices. You can't, you can't then go, oh, it's all right. I had four cameras. So let's, you know, pick one. It, it really does make you think as a filmmaker. It really does. I love it. Um, and Saving Paradise, honestly, it's a, it really is a great film. You should be very proud. I really want people to watch it and support uh, this really great indie film. It's available now uh, on Amazon in the UK. Uh, it's in Hulu in the US, isn't it? And Amazon as well. Is that right? Am I wrong? Yeah, you can get it on iTunes and and in the United States, you can get it pretty much anywhere from Redbox to uh, Spectrum. It's exciting and I'm very grateful that you're helping me promote it. And of course, I just want to say that, you know, both of you guys asked me some great questions because, you know, there's nothing better than being able to tune in and grasp, I think, uh, you know, some enthusiastic passion mm -hmm. and uh, and promote the medium because it is a medium mm -hmm. it is and those who are listening do remember to do that it's so important don't just watch your big marvel movies and don't just watch whatever you know on netflix support the indie filmmakers that you want to be if you want to be an indie filmmaker see these indie films that are at the same levels as you are that's only going to help you grow there's no point in keep watching the same marvel movies over and over you're not going to make one of those not with that attitude <laughs> no, if you do then come on this Charles show isn't. <laughs> not next week i'm not i need a grip um <laughs> uh, brilliant honestly jay it's thank been you such so a pleasure much. Thanks, it's jay. been a real pleasure honestly really good where can and people find you on the social media if you want to give your handle out that yeah well, I, you can find me uh, well number one uh, we have a website called jsilvermanproductions.com 
I'm on Facebook as well and also Instagram. Yes, and, and on Twitter as well as uh, I think it's just Jay Silverman, just so you know. But I'll put all the links to that in the show notes. Uh, and people, if you have listened to this, obviously, if you've got this far, you have. Do uh, social media out to Jay and say thank you very much for his time. It's always beneficial. Um, Saving Paradise is out now. Uh, thank you very much for your time, Jay Silverman. Thank you. Remember, go out there and make your indie film, make it happen. And if you're lucky enough to rise up and do well, just as Jay has done, then it is your duty to send the elevator back down. We will see you next Tuesday, as always. Dom Lenoir, thank you, buddy. Thanks, Giles. Been a pleasure. And Jay, take care. Thank you again. Thanks so much. Be safe. Bye-bye.